Dear Gwivogus Falcha, I'm Glenn, and you are welcome to A Reading City, Cork City Library's talking newsletter of library news and features. In this episode we bring you A Profile of One City, One Book 2020 Take a trip around Cork in 1920 with a look at the recently digitised Guy's Cork City and County Almanac and Directory 1920 A review of Actress by Anne Enright And Ed Cashman reads his poem Treasure One City, One Book 2020 was launched by Deputy Lord Mayor Kieran McCarthy on the 13th of August. The One City, One Book for 2020 is Whatever It Takes by Thaig Coakley. Thaig is a Corkman, a GAA lover, a former librarian. Whatever It Takes is his second novel. His first novel, The First Sunday in September, was published in 2018 to great acclaim and was shortlisted for the Mercier Press Fiction Prize. Whatever It Takes is a crime novel featuring Gartha Collins, who is jaded and unfit, more rail-thin than lean, losing his height to a stoop, looking closer to 50 than 40, burnt out by the job, coming back after a mental breakdown, having clashed with a serial killer the previous year. The opening scene describes recovering the body of a young woman from the River Lee. The young woman is known to Collins. The scene is set. All we need is a nemesis who comes in the form of Dominic Malloy, criminal, drug dealer, pimp. Whatever it takes is not pretty. Collins and Malloy battle it out down dark and twisting plot turns. There's no doubt it's set in Cork. He took out his phone and made the call, looking at the Church of the Ascension in the distance and the water tower up on the horizon. Cork crime, or Cork noir if you like, is having a heyday. Last year's One City One book was Darkest Truth by Catherine Kerwin. Kevin Doyle is two books in on his Solidarity trilogy. Catherine Ryan Howard is going from strength to strength with her latest novel, The Nothing Man, not to mention Graham Masterson's gruesome Katie Maguire series, Eleven Books Strong. To whet your appetite, here is an extract from Whatever It Takes. He sat down in his father's old armchair in the bay window. It faced to the northwest towards Gronabraher. The Church of the Assumption Impassive at night stood elemental above the rows of small sleeping homes scattering out around it. In the distance, the headlights of a solitary car appeared and disappeared, almost magically crawling down Cathedral Road. As he poured the beer, he noticed in the corner of his eye a brief orange flash from the back of a van parked on the street below. With its dirty rear windows faced directly towards his apartment. Young lovers, maybe. Surely they could have found a better spot or some guy down on his luck, homeless. But he recalled how a retired colleague had phoned him a couple of days previously, saying he thought he'd seen Jason Townsend hanging around on the same street. Collins had put it down to mistaken identity, or coincidence at the time. There hadn't been sight nor sound of Townsend since Kelly's death. He placed the glass and bottle on the small table, moved away from the window and paused the music on his phone. The sudden silence was grating, putting him on edge. He picked up the binoculars from the low bookshelf and, standing as far back as possible from the window, he focused them on the van. The tiny but unmistakable glow of a cigarette being pulled upon shone and faded. He noted the registration number and called the station. Mick, Collins here, he said. Detective Collins, Sergeant McMurphy said, with clipped asperity, his voice as tight as new rope. They went back a long way and the road had been rocky. 
Collins pictured his thin lips pursed in disapproval. Mick, can you run a number for me, please? A Ford Transit van. White, maybe cream. 02C97412. It's parked across from me on Pope's Quay. Right, I'll call you back, Mick said. Thanks. He put the binoculars to his eyes again and waited for the call. The phone rang. Collins, he answered. It belongs to a garage off Blackwater Road. Shawnee McDonough runs it. Remember him? We got him for procuring a few years ago. Collins winced. He tried to think. He watched the van. It seemed so innocuous. Is there a problem, Collins? Mick said. I'm not sure, he said. There's somebody inside it. Yeah, I remember him all right. Thanks, Mick. Are the traffic cameras live on Christy Ring Bridge? The one facing west down Pope's Quay? I think so. I didn't hear of any problems. Good, thanks. I'm coming into the station to have a look. Will you send a car around, please? It's probably nothing, but still. Collins hung up. Shawnee McDonough, not good. He glanced at the beer on the table. He knew he had to check the video immediately or it would eat him through the night. He thought about going down and confronting whoever was in the van, but decided against it until he knew more. If it was Townsend... Collins looked across St Mary's Church on the opposite side of the river. The statue of the Blessed Virgin Mary stood above its ionic columns and portico. He knew her well. They have had many a staring match. She won every time. The statue, high on its plinth, faced south to the hills beyond the city where the lights of the airport shone out at night. A pale green mould had begun to mottle her face, neck and white robe. Splotches of it grew over her eyes, giving the impression of an ancient affliction. She held her left hand out, low and open, as if in acceptance of her fate. Her right hand was higher, palm up, showing more authority, her fingers pointing towards the hillside to the west. He noticed his face, half reflected in the window, scowling. He softened his gaze. Whatever it takes by Tyg Coakley is published by Mercier Press. Pick up your copy at your local library. Visit our website, Facebook and Twitter for our One City, One Book events. One City, One Book is a Cork City Libraries initiative in association with Waterstones Cork and Creative Ireland. A trip around Cork in 1920. Guy's almanacs and directories were like the telephone directories of their time. They contain street and trade listings, details of government services. You can find lists of clergy, parishes and churches, details of court settings, rates and licences. You can find out the fairs and markets around the country, organised both by location and by month. Guy's Cork City and County Almanac and Directory in 1920 holds even more importance, as it gives an important insight into Cork City before it was burned on the night of 11 to the 12th of December 1920. Our precious copy is in poor repair, but we are delighted to make it available via PDF from our website. The street directory section tells you who lived where. Businesses are private citizens for each city street and the county towns. Even Shirkin Island is listed, complete with postmistress Miss A. Young and lighthouse keeper Florence Nolan, boat owners, shopkeepers and landowners. Who lived in Cork in 1920? In between the Barrys and Buckleys, Collins and McCarthy's, you will find more unusual surnames. Do you know a barn fodder, a bat maison, a copperthwaite? What about Cuppage, Donkert, Defubur, 
Fluid, Hennerberry, Hitchmo, Nishaw, Le Fluffy, Mockler, Pollocksfin, Rohu, Sanger, Scantleberry, Seif, Similclair, Sparshat, Zinkent. A wonderful list of exotic names conjuring up an image of 1920s Cork as being cosmopolitan and welcoming. Familiar business names. There are familiar names too among the businesses. Leader Clothes, Central Boot Store, Thompson's Confectionery, Hilser Jewellers, T.W. Murray Sporting Goods, McKechnie's Dryers and Cleaners, Morris Hotel, the Royal Victoria Hotel, a main of 7 Pembroke Street where you can get your horse remedies, the Royal Oyster Tavern, and the imitable Hinchy Wine and Spirit Merchant of St. Luke's Cross. Work and Trade The business listings include the usual trades and professions, barristers, solicitors, physicians and surgeons, insurance, architects, banks. However, you can also find listings for Averys, Cooperages, Coppersmiths, Corseteers, Drawing Masters, Electrolysis, Guana Merchants, Hide and Skin Merchants, India Rubber Stamp Maker, Lanternists and Cinematograph Operators, Millerites, Organ Builders and Taxidermists. Cork was a hub of manufacturing too. Biscuits, blankets, boots, boxes, cardboard and wood, caps, coffee essence, curled hair manufacturers, gloves, hosieries, rope and twine manufacturers, snuff, soap, spades and shovels, tobacco manufacturers, whip makers, all listed. There were even four umbrella makers in the city at the time. There were 22 mineral water factories across Cork City and County. There were 17 booksellers, 33 brewers and bottlers, 26 butter exporters and 12 carriage builders. If you found yourself in need of feathers, you could pick from six feather merchants operating in the city. When it came to clothing, a gentleman could choose from 34 gentlemen's outfitters or one ready-made clothing manufacturer. Ladies could choose from 41 ladies' outfitters. There were 12 furriers, 17 hatters and 51 tailors and costumers. Post offices. Post offices were integral to society. Guys lists all the post offices in Ireland. The list is extensive. It takes up 15 pages of the directory, 3 columns per page. However, it is essential information if you wanted to send a telegraph or money order. How much did it cost to send a letter in 1920? Guys tells us that an inland letter not exceeding 4 ounces in weight cost 1.5 pence with the additional information that no letter may exceed 2 feet in length, 1 foot in width or 1 foot in depth. Letters to British Possession, United States and Egypt cost 1.5 pence for the first ounce and one penny per ounce thereafter. Transport How did people get around Cork in 1920? There was a network of trams with six main routes serving Blackrock, Blackpool, Douglas, Tivoli, Summerhill and Sundays Well. The earliest tram was 7.45am, the last at 11pm. Fares ranged between 1.5 pence to 3 pence, return 5 pence. You could also get a hackney and the fares for typical routes are laid out on Guy's page Hackney Car Fares, PDF page 46 or book page 24. From Sunday's Well, Jail Road Stand to the Lunatic Asylum, for two persons it cost one shilling and six pence, for more than two, 
one shilling and nine pence. If you wanted to travel further afield, you would travel by railway or steamship. The Great Southern and Western Railway was the main line between Dublin and Queenstown, and from there, up to Cork on the Cork and the All and Queenstown line, out of Lower Glanmire Road. Other railway routes of the city were Cork, Bandon and South Coast Railway, out of Albert Quay, Cork, Blackrock and Passage Railway, out of Albert Street, Cork and McCroom Direct Railway, out of Capwell Road, Cork and Musgrave Railway, out of Western Road, Skull and Skibbereen Tramway, serving Skibbereen, Ballydehob and Skull. The City of Cork Steam Packet Co Limited offices on Penrose Quay dispatched vessels frequently to and from Fishguard, Liverpool, Manchester, London, Southampton and Bristol. From Fishguard, one could connect with the Great Western Railway of England. Guys tells us that passengers, parcels, goods and livestock catered for. The Cork Steamship Co Limited offered direct service between Amsterdam, Rotterdam and Cork. If you were lucky enough to have a car, the motor duties for motor cars, motor bicycles or tricycles not exceeding 6.5 horsepower cost £2 and 2 shillings per year. Education When it came to education, many of the educational bodies are still in operation today. And like the grinds and private tutors of today, private instruction was offered in many areas. Language, drawing and painting, music, dancing and calisthenics, shorthand and typewriting, as well as the private day schools. The two third level institutions are there, University College Cork and the Crawford Municipal Technical Institute including School of Science and Technology, School of Art, School of Commerce and School of Music. There were ecclesiastical colleges at Farron Ferris, Fermoy and Rochestown. Guy's has extensive lists of missionary schools, Christian Brothers, Presentation Brothers, Girls Schools and Convent Schools, Intermediate and Preparatory Schools, National Schools and Industrial Schools. Religion As well as listing Catholic and Church of Ireland clergy, churches and parishes, Guy's also notes the Presbyterian Church, United Presbytery, Congregational Church, Baptist Chapel, Society of Friends, Methodist Church, Salvation Army and Hebrew Congregation, all operational in Cork at the time. The Poor For the less fortunate, there are 47 groups and organisations listed under Hospitals and Benevolent Associations, from Almshouse at Skiddies to Workmen's Hostel Salvation Army. There were orphanages at Greenmount and St Mary's of the Isle. There were 19 pawnbrokers. Leisure What did people do for fun in 1920? Sports were always popular, and the guys list sports clubs such as cricket, tennis, boating and coursing. The listing for places of entertainment, public halls etc. contains Cork Opera House for operatic and dramatic entertainments etc. The Palace Theatre, King Street for high class variety entertainments at popular prices. There was also the Assembly Rooms, 22 South Mall with picture drum twice nightly and matinees. Cork also had the Coliseum, the Imperial Cinema, the Washington Cinema, the Pavilion Cinema and Café, the Picture Palace and Grand Parade, and a picture drum at St Mary's Hall Cathedral Parish. The Clarence Hall at the Imperial Hotel offered balls, dramatic performances, select entertainments. There were 33 restaurants, tea, luncheon and dining rooms, including Savoy and Woolworths. There were 16 licensed hotels, 43 wine and spirit merchants, and vintners in every town and street. You could also avail of Turkish baths at 30 South Mall, 
or Lord Edward Fitzgerald's municipal baths at Eglinton Street. Music lovers could purchase a gramophone or have their piano tuned at one of 14 music warehouses. The three daily newspapers were the Cork Constitution, the Cork Examiner and the Evening Echo. There were four weekly newspapers, Cork Weekly Examiner, Cork Weekly News and Cork County People, the Southern Star and the Eagle. I hope you enjoyed this trip around Cork in 1920. Guy's Cork City and County Almanac and Directory 1920 is available at www.corkcitylibraries.ie Search Guy's Almanac. Book Review, Anne Enright's Actress Actress, the new book by Anne Enright, is beautifully written, but it leaves you with the kind of impression you might have of a vivid dream after you wake up. You scrabble around, desperately trying to make sense of what you've just experienced, but in most cases you just give up as some things can only be felt, not expressed, or even remembered. In this novel, Enright manages to capture the essence of a life lived in all its complexity, beauty and mundanity, and it is a triumph. Actress tells the story of a one-time Hollywood star, Kathleen O'Dell, through the eyes of her only daughter. Her mother was never happy, she declares at one point, though she put on a fine damn show. Kathleen started out as the child of travelling actors in England, whose acting life started early. Later she toured with the so-called Fit Up Theatre, where plays were staged in barns and halls and remote villages and minor towns all over Ireland. The narrator, Nora, tells us that the players loved these rural audiences because they would be seeing the plays for the first time and wouldn't know the ending, so the actors could improvise if necessary. Oh, give her a good shake, shouted out a woman in Ballycastle when Romeo encountered Juliet, apparently dead in the tomb. A career in Hollywood beckoned after she was cast in a film as an Irish Colleen, but success brought sacrifices that she didn't regret or even understand till later if at all. Her daughter, looking back after her mother's death, is still trying to make sense of it all, along the way giving us a vivid picture of all the bit players in their lives. The intellectuals, the writers and the musicians, the embittered would-be movie moguls, the republicans, the people out in UCD or out in Montrose, but not out in any other way. As fame diminished and work got harder to find, Kathleen still craved success and the high of the stage, even while she began to hate the audiences, who were not as forgiving as those who flocked to the fit-ups in her youth. Nora, growing up against this bohemian backdrop, tries to set up her own life, but encounters the usual setbacks and disappointments along the way. It is rare to encounter a book that bears re-reading, but this is one of them. You are sure to read it again in the future, so you can revel in its wonderful prose. Treasure by Ed Cashman Stillness after rain-storming days I'm in the slipstream of my brother Wellies weaving the grass Through kingdoms of the bull Through shoulder spasms of the electric fence To the riverbank cast of a worm Stirring the sleep of fish I find a dock leaf to spit on Bam for the nettle sting then, in the springshine, nestle on the spread of a hand-me-down coat, readied for the bite, the pull and the whip of the wrist. Did you get him? I reel in a wormless hook, 
reach for the jar in the shade. Cast again, cast, cast again. Mist softens the tree line. A wing beat fades. Startled from daydreams, I follow the line of my brother's index, and there it is, just an arm's length away, a ghost hovering over the brisk brown flow. Dusk sees our slow pedal up Heskin's hill, bags of trout on handlebars, and in the kitchen we glow with the story of the river rainbow over mugs of tea, beans on toast. That's all for now. For information, opening hours, or contact details about Cork City Libraries, visit our website at www.corkcitylibraries.ie or follow us on social media channels. Music is by Chris Toomey from his album Midnight on the Water. Thanks for listening. Slán!